Good morning. Let's continue to pray for Karen Domsick as she's recovering from this uh, appendicitis, from, from this appendectomy, that no infection will set in, that she'll be able to, to be home quickly. Pray as well for Pastor. I believe what my understanding is there was an, um, a situation where he had an opportunity to be involved in a memorial service, a special memorial service today. Um, and so pray for him as he conducts that. I think a nurse asked him a hospice care situation. So pray for him as he um, uh, communicates the word of God and tries to be an encouragement and help to the family. Turn your Bibles to 1 Peter, 1 Peter this morning. Chapter, we'll be in chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. We'll read the, a little bit of the broader context in just a moment, but just have your Bibles open to 1 Peter chapter 2 as we continue our study in that wonderful little book. <clears throat> I don't know how many of you are golfers. I'm not a golfer. As a pastor, I was, uh, I was too cheap. I didn't have any money, so I played tennis instead. You know, just buy a couple balls and you can play all you want. I can never afford golf. But some of you might be golfers. Maybe you remember the, the name Gary Player. Gary Player was, a, 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 one, was one of the big three. Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicholas, Gary Player. Uh, the, his career was basically late 50s to late 70s. And uh, he often got comments about the way he hit the ball, the distance and the accuracy. And he often got comments, remarks, oh, I wish I could hit the ball like you. And he heard that often during his career. And one time he, he got a little impatient with someone saying that, I wish I could hit the ball like you. And he responded. He said this. He said, no, you, I would do anything to hit the ball like you. No, you wouldn't. You'd give anything to hit the ball like me if it were easy. Do you know what it takes to hit the ball like I hit the ball? I get up at 5 o'clock every morning and hit 1,000 balls. And my hands are bloody. So I go back to the clubhouse, wash the blood off, put bandages on my hands, and go out and hit a thousand more balls. It's not easy to do what I do. And if it was, then you would do it. But you don't because bloody hands, you don't want to do it. It's not, folks, pretty clear, right? Anything that, anything that we want to do really, really well, anything we want to succeed at, will take effort will take, in some cases, some, some amazing effort. Uh, we all have heard stories of athletes. Uh, you know, if you've watched the Olympics at all, you've heard story after story of, of individuals who have dedicated their lives. Uh, musicians, you're the story of musicians. You spend eight hours a day practicing. Wow, they're good. I wish I could be that good. No, you don't. You don't, you don't want to practice eight hours a day, or you would practice eight hours a day. To do anything well takes discipline, takes diligence and effort. So let's look at at 1 Peter. We'll start reading in chapter 1, verse 22 to pick up the flow. We'll look at verses 1, 2, and 3 this morning. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. So this is a reference to their salvation. They they obeyed the truth. They obeyed the word of God, the, the gospel. And by means of that, they're saved, Right? Who through, um, where am I at here? Verse 22. Having purified your souls, become saved by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. And here's the command of that passage love one another earnestly from a pure heart. 
And now he shifts back to a discussion of the word of God. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Now chapter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, newborn babes, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. So look at your Bibles again. I want to just, before we jump into verses uh, 1 through 3 of chapter 2, I want you to see the flow. So, verse 22, they've been saved by obedience to the word of God, the truth. And the command of that section is, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That's, that's the command. Now, in verses 23 through 25, he, there's a little bit of a parenthesis, a little bit of a rabbit trail. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. He talks about the scriptures now, verses 23 through 25. And now verse 1 of chapter 2, he gets back to this loving one another. In other words, love one another earnestly. Talks about the scriptures, a little bit of a parenthesis. Let's get back to loving one another earnestly. Let's talk about what that entails. Verse 1 of chapter 2, put away all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants... Long for this, the pure spiritual milk. And that's a reference to the scriptures. Now it goes back to the topic of the scriptures. We have this analogy. As babes, as, as individuals who need spiritual nourishment, where are we going to go? The scriptures. So that's, that's the flow here we need to see. Now look at verse, look at verse 2, the very end. Chapter 2, verse 2. And you see the actual... The actual topic here. Long for this, the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. That's the main thing he's talking about in verses 1, 2, and 3. Us growing in our salvation. So the bottom line then, how are we going to grow up in our salvation? How will we mature in Christ? Become like Christ? How will we uh, develop spiritually so so that we submit to the Holy Spirit more and submit to the desires of our flesh less? Peter wants to address that here. So he's talking about the effort necessary. If you're going to be a successful golfer, we know what that takes a little bit, just from the descriptions. If you're going to be a successful musician, that will take eight hours a day. If you're going to be a a successful believer, if you're going to be like Christ, if you're going to grow up in your Christian faith, if you're going to draw closer to God, we find the discipline necessary described, at least a little bit of it, in these verses. So the point here, folks, is that spiritual growth does not come by accident. We're not going to uh, grow just because we come to church Though that's part of it. It doesn't come by accident. It takes obedience, discipline, and work. 
Spiritual growth. It's not going to jump out of a bush someday and take over. This is, we can't get it by osmosis. It would be nice, wouldn't it? You take your Bible, you lay it under your pillow at night, you sleep on top of that all night, and by osmosis it kind of just sinks in all by itself. That would be wonderful. It doesn't happen that way. Spiritual growth takes daily discipline. By the way, it doesn't even come just by, doesn't even come by church, by church alone. This is necessary, being together, singing the truths of God's word, fellowshipping with one another, being encouraged in our Christian walk, hearing, the word, hearing God speak through the preaching of his word and through the teaching in the Sunday school time, the, the growth group's hour. That's all necessary. That's why we're commanded to be together on Sundays, to worship, to lift up our voices in praise, and to learn and grow together. We're commanded to do that on Sundays. So this is part of our growth, but this isn't all that's necessary. There's a, a daily part of this. It will take effort every day, reading your Bible, dealing with sin, as we'll see. So this is necessary, but it's not enough. Let's pray and we'll, we'll look at these few verses this morning. Father, we thank you for the great privilege we have of being together today. This is wonderful that you've commanded us, called us to worship you. You deserve our praise and our, our adoration every day and certainly on this day And we ask, Father, that you would use your word now to challenge us in our pursuit of you, in our pursuit of growth. Deal with sin in our lives. Deal with discipline. Help us to become more disciplined. And, Father, just use this time to to encourage us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll see two things this morning. First, First, in order to grow spiritually, We must strip off sin. We must strip off sin. So notice, chapter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy and envy and all slander. This word put away. It means to put off, to lay aside. Uh, The term is used often of of stripping off clothing. Do you remember uh, the situation with um, Stephen in Acts chapter 7, verse 58, where he... his clothes are stripped off and laid at the feet of, of Saul, who would later become Paul. That same that term is used there. The, the, the laying aside of his garments. This word is also used throughout the New Testament to refer to the stripping off of sin. In fact, let me read a few texts for you. Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. But now you also must put off all these anger wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Ephesians 4.22, put off your old self, which is being corrupted by in its deceitful desires. So this is who I was before Christ. This is who I am now. Put off the things of the old man, the sinful activities, the sinful desires. Strip those things off, throw them aside into a pile, and live a life that pleases the Lord. Ephesians 4.25, You must put off, strip off all falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. By the way, it's pretty clear in all these texts that God is not satisfied. He is not pleased when I leave the the clothing of the old life on and just put 
godly clothing on over the top, as it were. It's not enough to just put on the veneer of goodness and kindness and godliness and Christ-likeness. That's not enough. Before we do that, we strip off the sins of the old life. We don't keep sinning the sins of the old life and just add to that goodness and kindness and virtue. God's not pleased by that. That, That's still sinful living. I think the implication here, folks, is that sin acts like poison and will stunt our growth. He's talking about growing up in our spiritual life. And the first thing we're gonna, we have to do if we're going to grow is strip these things off. The implication is, the reason I need to strip them off is because they're going to stunt my Christian growth. I'll not be able to draw close to God the way, I, the way I should if I keep these sins in my life. They will stop me from pursuing God. They will stop me from growing. Notice the word all here. Look again at verse 2. He uses the word all to stress the, you know, the exhaustiveness of what he's saying. So put away all, not just some, but all malice. That's one category. Here's the second category of things I need to put off. All deceit, hypocrisy, envy. And then the third category, and all slander. So malice refers to every type of wickedness. We'll see this in just a minute. I'll, I'll dig in further. But the word malice refers to every type of wickedness. Deceit, hypocrisy, and envy. These refer to every type of self-centered attitude. And then the last one, slander, all slander, every type of slanderous speech. So let's dig in here. Put away, strip off. If you're going to, we're going to grow, folks. If we're going to draw close to God, the first thing we have to do is strip off malice. This word is extremely broad. It is the most general term for wickedness and sin in the New Testament. It's an umbrella term. Every sin you can conceive of and talk about is underneath this category of malice, this word wickedness, malice. It's an extremely broad term. It is the polar opposite of anything that's good and beneficial. Exact opposite of anything good. This term refers to every form of moral evil, whether of attitude or action. And by adding the term all to it, he's really clear. And he doesn't just say cast off, strip off, throw aside malice, every, which is the broadest possible term for evil, but he makes it even broader, all malice, every single kind of malice, every single kind of wickedness, throw it off. Folks, sin must not be condoned or excused or covered or harbored in our hearts. Sin must be dealt with drastically and decisively. Clearly, just these terms here make it crystal clear that we cannot hold on to, if we're going to grow, we cannot hold on to harbor any type of wickedness. Every single type has got to be stripped off and tossed aside Let me challenge you. 
I'm not real big on um, psychological visualization, visualize this, visualize that. You know, playing basketball, visualize the ball going through the hoop. It never worked for me. It still never went in. You know, be the ball. Still, the ball keeps missing. But listen, it, it won't hurt us to think in these terms in this case. Think of yourself. Let me just challenge you. Think of the sins that you fight with every day. There are certain propensities, certain desires that you deal with on a consistent basis, certain number of sins you fight with. Picture yourself stripping them off like filthy garments. We just did yard work this week, 90 degrees. It's a real smart time to do yard work. We're not the brightest bulbs, at least I'm not. Just pick the hottest days and do yard work. By the end of the work, there's dirt and sweat. I couldn't wait to strip these off. They were so yucky, I wanted to just take scissors and cut them off and just chuck them. Picture yourself stripping off the sins. Think in terms of the sins you fight with every day. Think in terms of stripping them off, throwing them in a pile, burning them, and never looking back on them. And that's exactly what Peter's commanding here. Secondly, we must strip off every self-centered attitude. He lists three, again with the word all in front of these three. The word deceit here is a deceitfulness that harms others through trickery. The the term originally spoke of a, a, a bait used for fishing. What do you use bait for? To trick the fish, right? Here's a worm. You like worms. Here's a worm or whatever you're using. It's designed to trick the fish. So the, trick ta- so the fish takes the bait, takes the chomp, and you've got dinner. That's how it works. That's the idea here. That the, the, uh, as the worm-adorned hook deceives the fish and brings it harm, so a man who is deceitful, filled with deceit, seeks to harm you. What he says is for his own good and your harm. Don't be that kind of person. Get rid of all deceitful speech. Any kind of speech communication that seeks your good and the harm of others. Any kind of trickery of language that you may use to to, uh, harm others and advance yourself. Get rid of all of that. Now it's interesting. We know from our study so far that the book of 1 Peter was written to believers who were struggling, persecuted for the faith, dying for the faith. And Peter brings up these kinds of things. Love your brothers, chapter 1, verse 22. Love one another earnestly. Let me describe what that looks like. Get rid of malice. Get rid of deceitful speech. Why is he bringing this up? Because, I mean, they're struggling to survive. Why bother bringing this up? Because, as we've said in the past, when the world's attacking, and by the way, in our world today, the attacks are coming, like never before? What is the sanctuary for the believer? What is the support group for the believer? It's this right here. We're not going to have get support from out there. We don't live in leave it to beaver world anymore. We're not going to, we don't live in a culture that is in any sense pro-Christianity. Or, 
So if this place is going to be a place where there's comfort and solace and help and blessing, we have to get rid of these things. First of all, get rid of this deceit. Secondly, hypocrisy. This word speaks of an actor. It refers to someone who plays a role. It refers to someone who, who, has, uh, who is, has inward evil covered by outward good. It speaks of someone who wears a mask. In fact, it's interesting, this same, this same word is used of, G, uh, of the Pharisees. Jesus uses this same word. Remember Matthew chapter 23? Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Same word. Notice this. Now he describes what he means by their hypocrisy. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean, everything putrid. In the same way, you, Pharisees, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So here's our description of this term. You're whitewashed. You're painted white. You look pure. You look clean. But inside is filth and impurity. That's his description of the the Pharisees. This is the term used for us. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be someone who looks good on the outside. Who knows the lingo. Who knows the language. Who knows how to dress for church. But on the inside, there's something else. I'm in contact right now with two churches that are struggling. And they're struggling because there are leaders, deacons in the church, who are this, who are this right here. There, there's a veneer of godliness and purity. Underneath, there's ungodliness. And these men have taken control of churches and are tossing out, running out, good pastors. And in one case, this church does it every four or five years. Good pastors, good godly pastors. Every four or five years, they spit another one out because there's a few people who are the core, and this is who they are. I don't assume anyone here is playing a role, but in churches like ours, there often are. And if this is you, you got to rip off the mask. Deal with the sin inside. And then it should not simply be a mask of godliness. Godliness should just be who you become. It shouldn't be fake godliness. It should be who you are. Now, what I want you to... So, if you're a believer and you're wearing a mask, throw it aside and become godly. But let me just mention, there's an implication here. The Pharisees weren't believers. They weren't followers of Christ. And their description was, you're hypocrites. If you're someone here who's wearing a mask, you look good on the outside, but inside it's something else, it may be because you're not a believer at all. So think about that. Am I really someone who's trusted Christ? Am I really running after Christ? Am I really pursuing godliness? Do I really love God's people? Do I love the things God loves? Do I hate the things God hates? Who am I really? And it may be that you're not a believer. If you're really one of these, at your core, 
In fact, look at verse 3 here of chapter 2. Peter kind of pulls that in a little bit. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. This is a little bit of a if you are truly saved statement. He's assuming they are. But there's a little bit of keep this in mind as we're addressing these things. If you're truly saved. Third thing, envy. He brings up envy. Deceit, hypocrisy, envy. And this, by the way, is is in the plural form. So all types of envy. Envy is the feeling of displeasure at another person's success or prosperity. I'm not happy you're doing well. I'm not happy you are serving God. I'm not happy uh, you got a bigger house, a nicer car. I got in your car last week and it smelled like a new car. Mine hasn't smelled that way for 20 years. I'm not happy with how well you are doing, how God is blessing you. That's this term. And he brings it up, of course, because again, this is something that believers can feel. And apparently some in Peter's audience, the multiple churches he's addressing, feel this way. There's envy there. One author says, so long as self, so long as self remains active in a man's heart, there will be envy in his life. As long as there's selfishness here, there'll be envy toward others. Then he, then he mentions speech and all slander. You see the word slander? It's actually in the plural, all slanders. So again, every single type of slanderous speech. This term speaks of the kind of speech that runs people down, belittles people, maligns people. It's speech that deliberately assaults another's character and usually takes place behind the person's back. Gossip and slander. Folks, as God's children, we've got to get rid of this. I'm not sure anything of any of this is happening here in our church family, and I pray not. But we're all still sinners. And the people he's addressing are believers who are still sinners. And so these are areas of temptation for all of us. There may be temptation to abuse someone verbally, to speak behind their back, to gossip and slander someone, to do them evil by your speech. There may be that temptation for you. Strip it off. Folks, the bottom line is, we cannot grow close to the Lord while we verbally abuse those who he loves. God won't let us. Did you hear that? God won't let us Draw close to him when we are abusing those whom he loves. That's true of all of these. If if these terms describe you to one degree or another, that will minimize your ability to draw close to God because he will not let you. Matt read... Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Let me read verse 1 again, bring it to your memory. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight 
And sin, which clings so closely. That's how sin is. It latches on and holds on. Lay aside every weight because you're running a race. And sin, which clings so closely, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He's comparing uh, uh, the Christian life to a race here. And he's saying the same thing Peter says. Strip off sin. Why? No runner wears anything more than he has to. He, he, he strips off all non-essentials. He wears the lightest possible clothing, or she wears the lightest possible clothing, the lightest shoes that will allow that person to run well. They're, they've got no non-essentials. They strip off everything else. Have you ever seen a, a, a sprinter run with a parka on? No, obviously not. They strip that off. And that's the idea here. If we're going to move forward in our Christian race, if we're going to run well in that race, if we're going to draw close to the Lord and walk close to Him, the first thing is stripping off the non-essentials and stripping off the sins. Sin, folks, no matter how insignificant we may think it is, will always slow us down. It'll always weigh you down. So, well, you know, a pound isn't that much weight. So a runner, a sprinter, he's not going to have a problem wearing a necklace that weighs a pound to the, the sprint, the 50-yarder. No, he'll take that little bitty pound off. Sin, even if we think it's little, will always, folks, always slow us down. It will always hinder us. Maybe you've heard of the, um, the Franklin Expedition, 1945. They sailed from England to find the Northwest Passage across the Arctic Ocean. Two ships. Lord Franklin was the leader. That's why they call it the Franklin Expedition. So they, what did they fill these ships with? Food. Lots of food. Lots of warm clothing. They're going to be in the Arctic. Lots of coal for the engines. All the stuff they're going to need. All the weight was that, right? No. It's ridiculous when you think of it. 1,200 volume library. Crystal goblets. Fine china. Sterling silverware for each officer with his name engraved on every piece. That sounds beautiful. So the the ships, you know, they've got sails and they're blown where they're going. What do you do when the the wind stops? You have auxiliary engines that run on coal. Well, they pack silverware and goblets and 1,200 books, but only 12 days of coal, 12 days worth of coal for their auxiliary engines. So they're just assuming this is going to be smooth sailing. It wasn't. Before long, they're, they're caught in the Arctic ice. Lord Franklin dies, and they split up into small groups and start walking, trying to find help and trying to survive. 
Two men were found eventually. They found all the men, I think most of them. But two men were found pulling a sled. They pulled a sled. And you know what's on the sled? Of course, food, more clothing, a couple tents to sleep. You know, to, if you're going to sleep, something warm you can sleep under. All that stuff's there. Well, you know what was found on the sled? Silverware. You're pulling silverware. It's no wonder every single man in that expedition died. Now, I give you the story and you go, wow, that's insanity. That's our response, right? That was really dumb. All right, now supply it to us. How are we going to move forward in our Christian walk? If we're weighted down with silverware, goblets, books, how are we going to move forward in our walk if we're weighted down with sin? We're not. We're going to struggle with every step. Moving towards, toward the Lord, every step will be difficult because of all the weight. You've got to strip it all off. Secondly, in order to grow spiritually, we must long for knowledge of the Word of God. Spiritual growth requires the stripping off of sinful habits. That's the first thing. Deal with those today. It also requires the consumption of the truths of God's word. Folks, sin will strangle us, but the Bible will nourish us. Sin will strangle. The Bible will nourish. That's what long for. And it just means, it speaks of an intense longing, an intense craving. Uh, we have two little ones in our family now. Uh, and you know, you know when they're hungry. They let you know when they're hungry. If they're not satisfied pretty quick, you really learn. You really know. There's not a room in the house that their piercing cries don't, you know, crash through the walls. You can be about anywhere. You can be a block away almost, and you hear the cries of a baby who's hungry. They crave, they long for, they need the nourishment of the, of the milk. And so you know. When, so folks, I want you to notice here, this is a command. Long for the pure spiritual milk of the word. This is what he's talking about here. This is a command. It's, so it's a responsibility. It's a duty. This is my responsibility as a follower of Jesus Christ to long for, to crave the word of God. It's not just a responsibility, however. An intense desire for mother's milk is an indication of a healthy child. So longing for God's truth is both an indication of spiritual life and a responsibility. Here's the command. Long for God's word. But there should be a desire. I shouldn't even need to be commanded. Because a, an indication of the fact that I'm spiritually alive will be that I desire the word of God. Like a baby desires milk. You don't need to command a baby. You look at the a two-week-old, you should want to eat. If it's a healthy baby, they want to eat. And they'll let you know when, they, when it's time to eat. A couple things. We see three things here about the Word of God. First of all, only God's Word will truly satisfy. Verse 2, long for the pure spiritual milk, speaking of the Word, as newborn infants. It's interesting. The word infant, baby, 
The Greek word brephos means newborn baby. So he doesn't need to add newborn, because it's clear from the word. But he adds it. Newborn, newborns, newborn babies. He wants to be clear. We know these little ones long for milk and need the nourishment. And as God's children, that should be our desire too. Children want food eagerly, and they want it frequently. That's what's commanded of us. Long for the truths of God's word. I'm a child of God. You don't have to command me. I want it. That should be the attitude that we have. Secondly, only God's word is unvarnished truth. He speaks of the fact that it's pure. Long for the pure spiritual milk. This word means uncontaminated, unadulterated. It's often used of of food that, that is uncontaminated. It's pure. It's edible. It's nourishing. That's the idea here. And the word of God is uncontaminated. It's free from impurities. The impurities of sin or human deceit. It's free from any imperfections. It never deceives. It never leads astray. It is true. What the word of God says is true. You'll find errors recorded accurately here in the scriptures, but they're always recorded as errors, as lies. But what the Bible teaches is always true. I got a phone call when we were in Illinois. There's a man who was converting to Islam. And he wanted a pastor's perspective on that. I'm converting to Islam. I want to get your thoughts. So as I'm asking him questions and we're talking, he tells me that he tried pretty much every church. He'd been to a Southern Baptist church. He'd been to a Pentecostal church. He even was baptized into the Roman Catholic church. Now, by the way, that takes effort. I was raised Roman Catholic. It takes effort. Catechisms and such and learning what the church teaches and converting and so forth. You don't, you don't read the Bible. It's just church teaching is what's communicated. So he'd gone through some work. So I asked him, okay, tell me the gospel. What is the gospel? He had no idea. He'd gone to Southern Baptist Church, Pentecostal Church, converted to Roman Catholicism. Now he's moving on to Islam. I asked him, what were the, what are the core teachings of Christianity? What's the gospel? He had no idea. Why? Because he was looking to organizations and organized religion to satisfy him, to, 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 to save him. Where's, what's the one place he didn't look? Forget the churches. Open your Bibles. I would say of this guy. I did say of this guy. Open your Bible and read. Read John's Gospel. Read it three times, four times. And learn what Jesus, who Jesus is, who Jesus was, what he did. And then read Romans. And you see the implications of what Jesus did on the cross. Call me back then. We'll talk about salvation and what the Bible teaches. I'll meet with you. I'll have lunch for you. We'll do with you. We'll do whatever. He needed to jump into the truth. He was looking instead to organizations and churches and people to help him understand the gospel. He should have just gone here. Lastly, only God's word will bring us to spiritual maturity. Looking again now at verse 2. 
like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that, the little Greek word, that, in order that, or with the purpose that. So long for God's word with the purpose that you may grow up into salvation. Only God's word can bring us closer to God, can, can uh, help us to grow up in our salvation. The teachings of Scripture are designed to make us more like Christ and draw us close to him. So let me ask you a couple questions here. First, how much time do you spend every day studying the Bible? So just think now for a second. How much time do you spend each day reading your Bible, trying to understand it? I don't mean just a daily bread. That's fine, too. I mean, in addition to, just to that, how much time do you spend reading your Bible? Five minutes, ten minutes, half hour. How much time every day? Say, so, well, I read it two or three times a week, so it's this much. Okay, so how much time every day? Second question, take all that, add it up. How much time do you read your Bible in a week? If the Bible is the instrument God uses to help us draw close to him and grow up in our salvation, it's certainly absolutely necessary that we'd be studying the scriptures. So how much time do you spend every week? Now, just be honest with yourself. As couples, reading the Bible as a couple, as a family, as individuals, how much time do you spend? And now the question, can you actually grow reading it that much? So I never read. Can you grow? I read about five minutes a day. Can you grow that much? I read three days a week, maybe 15, 10, 15 minutes. Can you, can you grow? If you're married and you spent that much time, five minutes a day, we'll say, that much quality time with your spouse, how strong would your marriage be? If you spend 10 minutes, two days a week, three days a week, how strong would your marriage be? How strong is our relationship with the Lord going to be if we have anemic Bible reading? So let me just challenge you. Here's what Peter says. If we're going to grow, we have to strip off that which will pollute us and stunt our growth. And we have to begin the discipline of reading the scriptures. And that's how we'll draw close to the Lord. Thank you, Father, for this text of scripture. And we're grateful for it and the challenge we see here. We each fight with sin every day. None of us is victorious. None of us has won over. None of us is sinless and lives a sinless life. We're all fighting every day. Father, help us to recognize our struggles, the sins that grip on and that drag us down. And give us the grace, Father, to strip them off, hard as that may be, and discard them. And then, Father, make us disciplined Bible students because we know it is by removing the hindrances and longing for your word and studying your word that we will grow and become like Christ. And that is our desire. 
Lord, there may be some here who have never trusted Christ. They've never really sought to see what the Bible says about forgiveness of sin. Open their hearts now, Father, to that. Give them a desire to know. Cause them to seek out someone who can help them. Open the Bible to see what the Bible actually says. And open hearts and save. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. We love him. We pray these things in his name. Amen.